Hello, folks, and welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. We hope that this message will bless your heart, draw you closer to Jesus Christ, and help you in your daily walk as you seek to serve our Lord. Take your Bibles and turn to the second chapter of the Gospel of John this morning. I looked at the bulletin this morning when I got here and I couldn't, couldn't figure out why in the world I chose to sing that song before the message. And I still can't, but anyway, it was pretty. It was pretty. John chapter 2 is where we'll be. Let me ask you a question this morning as we get started. Who are you? Who are you? When people ask us that question, we usually start off by saying, well, I tell them our name. We might go on to respond with introducing them to who our parents or grandparents are or were. We might tell them who our spouse is or who our children are. We might go on to tell them where we grew up or or where we currently live. That's how we, a lot of times, will tell people who we are. And those things do tell people who we are. But I doubt any of us or very many of us ever tell people when they ask us, who are you? I, I doubt very... Seriously, that very many of us say, I'm a temple of the living God. I've never done that. Never induced myself in that way. Yet, that's what God's Word says we are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says exactly that. Listen to these words. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, when you and I become a Christian, we're different from what we were beforehand. We sing that song, I was once a sinner, but I came pardoned to receive from my Lord. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. We were purchased at a very high price. Not on sale. You and I go to to buy something and we try to find the best deal. Jesus didn't really get a good deal. We're not worth what He paid. He paid with His life. We were bought with a price. When you and I accept Christ, you don't belong to you anymore. You're not your own. That's what the Scripture says. He takes up residence in us and He changes us. We're passed from death unto life. And through that process of sanctification, He begins to cleanse us from the inside out. Now this morning as we look at John chapter 2, we're going to look at a passage that should be very familiar to, to most of us, where two separate incidents are recorded in Scripture, the early part of Jesus' earthly ministry. The changing of the water into wine, and then the cleansing of the temple. And I, I hope to write on your heart this morning three or four basic thoughts as we go through this passage and examine what can happen when we have an interaction with Jesus. 
Now let's look together there in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and we'll read through the whole chapter. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Verse 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. And there they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of Drove, drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word this morning, Lord, just speak to our hearts. Give us wisdom and insight into what your word would have us to know. Help us to tune out the outside world as we focus solely on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we have here in this first part of this chapter a very familiar story. Jesus' first miracle that he performed when he was beginning his earthly ministry. Changing of water into wine. Now, weddings in those days were celebrations that took place over several days. Some, some scholars say they were seven-day feast, feasting and celebrating. They're joining together one man and one woman. 
which is a side note, that's the way it ought to be, one man and one woman, joining together. But there was a problem. They had run out of wine. And this obviously was a big deal. Jesus' mother, Mary, comes to him and she, she tells him what's going on. We're out of wine. Now, we don't know why she came to him. Some people speculate maybe she was the, the wedding coordinator. Maybe it was family that they were, you know, they were having the wedding of a family member. But we're not really sure of that. I thought about it this week. There's no mention of Joseph anywhere in this story. So maybe Joseph's dead. Maybe because he's dead that she goes to her oldest son to fix the problem. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but Jesus says to her, Woman, why do you involve me in this? My hour has not yet come. And what happens next is the first miracle that's recorded for us that he performed, changing that water into wine. And so this morning, the first thought I want to lay on your heart when we think about what can take place when we interact with Jesus, the first thing that comes to mind is conversion. Conversion. He converted that water into wine. It says there in verse, uh, starting back there in verse 6, it says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's a pretty good sized pot. There were six of them. They were cold and hollow and empty, and Jesus says, fill them up with water. So they do. But I don't want to diminish from what he did. He changed that water into wine. That was a miracle. But I think what we often overlook in this passage is something that jumped out at me this week. There's a lot of time in Scripture where numbers mean a lot of different things. The number seven is usually the number for perfection or completion. The number four is usually representative of the earth. Number three, the triune nature of God. What's the number six mean to you? It's the number of man. And there were six water pots. Now, I don't know whether that has any significance or not, but it jumped out at me this week. Six pots of water. Or six pots. Cold, hollow, and empty. And so... As I thought about this this week, I thought about how that's a good depiction of us before we come to Christ. We're just cold, hollow, empty jars of clay. But when we come to Him, when we're converted, the Holy Spirit of God moves into us and we're filled. Jesus, then, as, as they fill, this, fill these jars, He turns that water into wine. Now, in, in the Bible, wine symbolizes joy. We think about being converted. We think about the joy that we have. They fill these jars up with water. It was turned to wine. And I, I think about us being cold, empty, earthenware jars without Christ. But when we're converted, we're filled. And He fills us with His Spirit. He changes us from the inside out. And so that joy comes out of us. He tells the the, the help there to, to draw it out. And they took it to the master of the banquet. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. 
When we're converted, we're no longer who we used to be. We think about the Apostle Paul. He, he thought he was on a mission from God. He was persecuting the church and killing Christians. And he met Jesus on that road. And it was a 180 degree turnaround when he was converted. And he went from persecuting the church to promoting the church. And he gave the rest of his life promoting that cause. When we're converted, there's a change. The second thing I want us to note about this passage is what I'm going to call compliance. Compliance. Look at verse 5 there. Jesus' mother said to the servants, do whatever He tells you to do. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. No better advice has ever been given than that, has it? Do what Jesus tells you to do. Comply with what He says. And so they go on and they they fill the pots. It says they fill the jars of water to the brim. They fill them up to the brim. And when Jesus asks us to do something, we need to have that same attitude. We need to do it heartily. We need to do it completely. We need to do it with a hurried manner. We need to be hurried and heartily doing it. They fill the pots with water. Colossians 3 and verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you're receiving inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. We're to do what Jesus says, and if we do what He says, it's a sign that we are belonging to Him, isn't it? 1 John 2 and verse 3 through 5 says, We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar. That's what the Scripture says. The uh, servants were complying with His wishes, and that's what we're to do. We're We're to do what Jesus says. There's conversion, and then there's compliance. James 1 and verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the Word, And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then later on there, when we think about compliance, Jesus, they fill those pots with water to the brink, to the brim. And then He says, draw it out. Look there in verse 10. The master of the wedding says, "Everyone everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. May I suggest to you this point? If you and I comply with what Jesus says, our frailest, weakest human effort when it's touched by the Master's hand will be the very best that it can be because Jesus' hand is on it. And that's what took place here. Jesus turn this water into wine. And the master of the ceremony said, it's the best I've ever tasted. That's what will happen when we comply with what Jesus says. and We've converted. The very best comes out. Then the third thing I want us to think about this morning is we think about when Jesus comes into us, there's a cleansing that takes place. Cleansing that takes place. Look back there at verse 13. It says, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, I'll stop right there and make a point to say Jewish Passover there. In Exodus, what was the Passover called? It was the Lord's Passover. 
So I had to think about that this week and I thought, how far away from God's real intent had they gotten by this point in time where they called it the Jewish Passover? How much do we do in our religious life that's of us and not of God? That's where these people were. I got sidetracked there. But Jesus went to the, up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found men selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So He made a whip out of cords and He drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. There was a cleansing that took place. Now, this Passover was one of three times a year that every male was supposed to come to Jerusalem. And scholars tell us that there quite possibly could have been at least a million people there at this time. It was a big deal, the Passover. People would come and they would, the men had to come, but most oftentimes they'd bring their families. But there's two things we need to know about this, this time. They would need animals for sacrifices. And if you're traveling from a far distance, going on a trip, it's hard to carry cattle and sheep and goats. I know we've gone on trips before and we've done it both ways. We've bought a bunch of groceries beforehand and that's a lot of trouble loading all that up to take, to unload. And then there's times when we go there and we just buy it when we get there. And that's much easier. That's what these people had started doing. They had decided, well, we're just going to buy it when we get there. And so they had began to be this lucrative business of selling sacrifices, selling animals for sacrifices. But there was one problem. The people selling the sacrifices were price gouging. You go to a, a ball game or something like that, you're going to pay three times what something's worth if you buy it there rather than buying it before you go. So that's what was taking place here. And they were doing all this inside the temple court. The second thing is, if you're going to bring a sacrifice, it had to be perfect. So even if you brought a sacrifice, brought an animal, the people selling the animals, the high priests were the ones that had to approve your sacrifice. And if you're selling something and you've got to approve somebody else's, you're going to be a little bit more tempted to say, well, that doesn't make the cut. You need to buy one of mine. And so that's what was taking place here. And all this was taking place in the temple court. I remember when we were in the fish business, you had to get your fish on flavor before they'd buy them. It was always funny to me, if the fish plant was low on fish, if they didn't have very many to pick from, you could get them on flavor pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> but if they had their own fish and they had plenty of those coming in, you could never get yours on. I'd take two or three samples to two or three different places and they'd be on flavor everywhere, everywhere except one place, the place that had their own ponds. And so that's what was going on here. The second thing we need to know about this time was that they had to pay that temple tax of a half a shekel a man. But you couldn't pay the temple tax with your own money. You had to use temple coins. So that's why the money changers were here. And exchanging money was something that had to be done. I mean, there was nothing wrong with that. But the problem was they had started gouging people. So you might give them a $5 bill and they'd give you four back in temple coins. Had a lucrative business going on here and they were... They were profiting off of the time. And Jesus saw this and he got angry and he said, you're messing up. You're doing wrong. And so he cleansed this temple of all this was going on. He's, he saw all this going on inside the temple court. 
When you and I become a child of God, we become a temple of God. And He moves in. He's not going to allow something to go on that's not fit for His temple. God's not going to live in a dirty house. When I went to MSU, there was three of us that shared an apartment that second year. And you can imagine three 19-year-old boys in an apartment. And I'm not going to name any names, but one of the people that was sharing an apartment with me, his grandfather was a retired sheriff in this county. And, and so they... Cecil and, Cecil and Sweetney came to, to see our apartment after we'd been there two or three months. And we had pizza boxes stacked up and uh, books and different things. And you had a path to walk through the den. And I never will forget what Cecil said. He said, Russell, if I had a choice of spending the night here or spending the night in the Knoxville County Jail, well, I think I'd just stay in the jail. <laughs> He wasn't going to live in a dirty house. And God's not going to live in a dirty house. God's not going to live in a dirty house. If you and I become a child of God, we're, He's going to clean us out. If there's some sin in our heart or in our life, God is going to take care of it. He's not going to move out, but He's going to clean house. Hebrews 12 and verse 6 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one He loves. If you've got some sin in your life and it's not eating you up on the inside, then you're not a child of God. If you are His, He is going to discipline you. He's going to take you to the woodshed and discourage you. He's going to make that, that whip of cords and He's going to drive out what shouldn't be there. He's going to chasten us. He's going to clean this place up. How fit of a temple are you this morning when you think about your own life and your own heart? Is there something there that shouldn't be there? Is there some sore spot of sin in your heart? If it is, God's going to take His thumb and put it right on that sore spot and grind it in and get it out. Because He will not live in a dirty house. He's going to cleanse His temple. Maybe the Holy Spirit's bringing something to your mind this morning that needs to be scourged. He'll put His finger on it. He'll get it out of there. God's Word says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 16. There's conversion when we come to Christ. We, the interaction we have with Jesus, we can be converted. And then we comply there's compliance. We comply with what Jesus says. We do what He says. As Mary said, do exactly what He says. That's the best advice ever given. And then when we, we become a child of God, we become a temple of God, He cleanses us. And sometimes it's not pleasant. Sometimes we're sitting trying to watch television and there's a vacuum cleaner running. It irritates you a little bit. You can't hear. And I thought about that this week as we thought about Jesus cleaning house. But the last thing I want us to know, the last thing, look there in verse 23. It says, Now while He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs He was doing and believed in His name. 
But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. What does that mean? Some versions say Jesus would not commit himself. The last point I want to make is commit, committing, commitment. It says Jesus did not entrust himself to them. They believed in his name. They believed in what he was doing. But Jesus saw their heart. He knew their heart wasn't right. How many people today do we know that come into the church and they say, I want to be a child of God. And they, they're on fire for a little bit. And then they slowly look around and they're not here anymore. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm just talking about the church as a whole. People get on fire and they say they want to be a Christian and then they slowly drift away. Sadly, sometimes never coming back. It's because their heart wasn't in it. They weren't committed. If we commit ourselves wholly to Jesus Christ, He'll commit Himself to us. But if we're just giving it lip service, He says here, He will not entrust Himself to us. The Bible says these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus was not fooled by these people. They were not committed. And therefore, he did not commit himself to them. We can't fool him either. We can't fool him either. He knows our hearts. He's, he's standing at the door knocking and calling our name. But we've got to be fully committed to him and open the door and let him in. Be converted. Let him change us as he changed the water into wine. And that joy will come out. Comply with what he says. Do what Jesus says. And he'll cleanse us from the inside out. He's not going to live in a dirty house. We have to be committed to him. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're His handiwork. We're His temple. We're not our own. We don't belong to us. We belong to Him. If you need to do business with God in some way this morning, would you come forward at time of invitation? We're going to stand and sing a hymn in just a minute. In the words of that hymn, let that be your prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Take thou my heart. Cleanse every part. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. We are not our own. Let's pray. Father, just pray that this message has touched someone's heart this morning, Lord. Just pray that you'll be with us as we continue to try to serve you. Father, if there be some sore spot of sin in someone's life and they need to turn it over to You, Lord, I just pray that they'll do just that. That they'll come to You by faith, Lord, and it let You clean, clean the temple. Clean from the inside out. That's our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.